James. Last week we talked about, no, this was like pretty near a month ago. Three weeks ago we talked about uh, James 1. We took the first 18 verses and talked about what was going on there. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about uh, testing of our faith and how um, our faith gets stronger once um, it's tested, once we're under hardship. And then we talked a little bit about temptation and, and where temptation comes from. And we talked about a couple different topics. Well, that's kind of the gist. Excuse me. That was disgusting. Uh, tonight we're going to continue on from where we left off. So you can open your Bibles to James 1. And then we're going to pick up on verse 19. All right, so we're going to start on verse 19. Um, we're going to go through verse 21. I'll give you a couple more seconds to get there. James 1, 19. And we'll go through 21 to start with. Okay, everybody good? Everybody there? Okay, I'll read. You can read along. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." So these one, two, three verses um, are basically talking about anger um, and kind of just about how, how just poopy anger is. Um, the thing that we see there in verse 20 is it says that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think righteousness, the righteousness of God, really should be something that every Christian um, should be trying to achieve constantly. Uh, what does that mean, though, to the righteousness of God? Righteousness basically means being morally right or justifiable. Okay? Being morally right or justifiable. And our moral compass as Christians is Jesus. So we find our source of righteousness through him. We don't see, um, we don't gauge our righteousness based on each other or someone else. Um, but we, we get our source and our compass of, of righteousness from Jesus, right? That's why it, it says that um, anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness we should be striving for. So basically, it's our goal as Christians to follow and to live by Jesus' example, um, by the rules and the directions that he gave us in the Word. And if you really study the Word and the words of Jesus, you're going to see that anger is not a part of God's righteousness, right? Anger does not produce God's righteousness. It is not a part of righteousness um, in God's eyes. But I think a lot of times we, we kind of think and consider anger, um, and it's just kind of, I don't know, we just kind of brush it off like it's not a big deal, right? It's just an emotion. Um, we get angry. Everyone gets angry. It's, it's just a part of our lives. Um, so what's the big deal? But I want you to think about this. What, what are you like when you're angry? Can you think about that? What is that? Is that your pen? Oh, man. I thought you were, like, smoking something. That would be weird. Um, I'm all frazzled now. So I was going to have to yell at you and call the cops and all that. Um, what do you like when you're angry? You were about to see me angry. 
What, what are you like when you're angry? I know for me, um, I'm not in love with the person I become when I get angry. Um, I kind of, I think you can ask Dean this, sometimes I have a, a quick temper. It doesn't take long for me to go from, from zero, zero to red-faced. Um, and sometimes when I'm angry, I, I say stupid things. I do stupid things. Um, and it's, it's hard for me, and I'm sure you're the same way. It's, it's hard to, to really think, to, to be in control when you're angry, Right? Oh, cool. Um, but that's kind of the point, right? It's we cannot be like Christ when we're angry because we'll lose control and we'll say something stupid and say something dumb. Now, if you read the Bible, specifically the Gospels, where it talks about Jesus and the life of Jesus, the things he did, the things he said, how many times was Jesus angry? Once? Really? Wow, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> really, I can think of, of one time where he was angry, where he goes into the temple when uh, there's a bunch of people in the temple selling um, sacrificial animals for personal gain, and he went in there and he flipped some tables. Um, and it's kind of like even in that moment, um, you know, he was angry and he kind of lashed out, um, but he never kind of took that extra step. You know what I mean? Like me, if it was me, Maybe I would walk in there, flip some tables, um, punch some dudes in the face, you know? Probably not, though. I'm a big talker. I've never punched anyone in the face. Yeah, set the whole temple on fire? Good grief. <laughs> Who ever heard that before? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, Jesus, just that one time that we see was angry, but he was still, there was still control in him because he was striving after that righteousness of God. And with me, it's not quite that way. We lose control when we're angry. That's why anger is such a big deal and why we need to keep tabs on our anger is so we don't lose control, so that we can continue um, to strive for the righteousness of God. So how do we keep the anger in check? This passage kind of gives us a little formula to do that. It says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. See, again, we, we have to be in control, and I think a lot of times we have a tendency to react quickly to be maybe be hearing something that we don't necessarily like and to react right away, to, to defend ourselves or, or to get offended so quickly without completely hearing what's going on or uh, allowing ourselves to kind of see what's going on in the situation. But this passage tells us to hear first. I think just to, <laughs> in my experience, so many times I just kind of get mad um, just because I don't really hear the other person out. Like, they'll say something, and then I'll just stop listening. Like, I'll cut them off either verbally or just mentally and assume the rest of the conversation. Just assume the rest of what they're going to say is going to make me mad. And then I'll respond that way. I'll react that way. And I don't completely hear. But when we are slow to speak, um, then that'll allow us time to really react the way we should, to remain in control. We need to listen first, then digest Think on it, stay cool, stay controlled, and then react and respond if necessary. And then another piece to um, kind of alleviating anger we see is to receive with meekness the implanted word, the passage says. Meekness just means submissiveness, okay? You guys know what submissiveness is? 
yeah? Uh, so if you have a dog, uh, to get your dog to be submissive, I learned this trick from Caesar Milan. Do you guys know the dog whisperer? Yeah? So there's this thing that you do with your dog to make it submissive, is you, you flip it on its back um, to kind of show that you're in control, and you just kind of hold it there. And then eventually you'll just kind of see it just kind of submit. <laughs> just chill. Have you seen this with sharks? This is even cooler when, like, there's a certain part of the nose of the shark, like, you can touch or something, and then it just kind of, like, whatever. It'll, like, float upside down. Dude, Shark Week. I saw the Shark Week once, and that was nuts. Like, these huge sharks are just, like, floating upright, just, like, there in the, in the dude's hand. I'm like, wow. No, but that's kind of what submissiveness is, all that to say that. Um, we need to be submissive to God. We need to be submissive to his will to his calling, to his guidance, and his direction for our life. Meekness is an attitude. It's putting you in your rightful place. Um, it's submitting to God, not putting yourself in front of God. And I think a lot of times we do that. We put ourselves in front of God, or we put other things that we like, our plans or, or desires or wants or whatever, and we put that in front of God. And that's not what submissiveness is. Submissiveness is putting everything, including yourself and what you want, and what your plans are, and putting that behind God so that God is first and he's your focus in your life. And this is how we receive his word, his truth, is in submission, out of a spirit of humility. Um, just kind of understanding the simple fact that we don't deserve Jesus and what he did for us. In fact, every day we do everything we can, it seems like, to not deserve Jesus and his sacrifice. But yet, here we are, sitting in this room because we are saved by his sacrifice and grace anyways. He still died for us knowing that we were going to continue to sin, that we were going to continue to mess up. So if we come out of, just come at things out of that perspective, it creates meekness. It creates humility because we can't do anything on our own. We can't save ourselves. And it's only because and through Jesus that we are who we are, that we are here, that we have an opportunity to go to heaven after we die, to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. So if we approach everything through this mindset and not uh, through filthiness and wickedness, like the pastor says, we'll be in control. We'll be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger. That's what it's about. All right? You obviously still have your Bibles open. So we're going to continue on to the next portion of Scripture. We're going to hit verses 22 through 25. All right, I'll read. You guys can read along with me. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. I'm sorry, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer um, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So this kind of right out the gate lays out a challenge to us, and, and it's what you see as the heading before verse 19 is uh, to be not just hearers of the word, but to be doers. And it talks about self-deception a little bit. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We are, in, in essence, deceiving ourselves when we 
just here and when we don't do, when the action doesn't follow. And I think we see this a lot. There's a lot of people, maybe some of us in this room, who we just, we think we're good. We think that uh, because we know everything that we're good. And I think a lot of us maybe know uh, a crap load about the gospel and stuff. Really? Nacho Libre reference? Thank you, Dina, though, for catching that. Um, but, you know, we think we have the knowledge, but yet we're, we're not doing it. But we still think we're good. We're covered and we're saved. But knowing doesn't save us. Knowing and doing and reacting to the grace of Jesus, following him with our actions, that's what saves us. That's what gets us into heaven. That's what allows us that relationship with God. Our knowledge has to lead us to doing something. And then it tells this brief little, I don't know, like an illustration or something about this dude who looks at himself in the mirror, which is kind of like all of us, right? Especially you teenage boys. You like to check yourself out in the mirror for a long time. Am I right, Tanner? At least a half hour. Just sit there and gaze into your own eyes. Oh, man. Seven. <laughs> Just look at yourself. Hey, Tanner. Looking good today. Right, But it tells the story of this man in the mirror who looks in the mirror and then goes away and kind of forgets what he was like. And I mean, how many of us are like this guy? We, we look at ourselves or we, we know the ways of Jesus, what he calls us to do. We've all heard it. A lot of you have sat here in those chairs and, and heard those words. But then you walk away from the mirror or maybe you walk out of this room and you, you forget those things. When rubber meets the road, we just don't do it. I mean... Our life could, could very simply be mistaken for the life of an unbeliever, right? And that's a problem. We have to do it. When we do it right, when we do Christianity and following Jesus right, um, we look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, like it says, and we persevere. When we see God, when we see who he is, when we see how he loves us and how he planned and designed all of this and how he sent his son to save us from death and hell, then we act on it. And we persevere, then we move. We live our lives as followers of Jesus. This is doing it right. This knowledge of God and, and who he is and how he loves us and everything that he's done for us, this leads us to do something. It leads us to action, or it should. And out of that, we love. That should be one of the signs of, of your faith is your love, right? The Bible says that they will know that we are his followers because of our love. We pour out love on others because of the love that we've been shown, the love that we've received. And we share the message of Jesus because there's power in it to restore people. And it gives them a hope for a future, and we care about those people. We live like Jesus because we want to be like him to the people around us. Because of his love, because of the sacrifice he made, we want to follow him, and we want to be like him. All right, we'll go back and hit the last... Is this the last section? I think it is. 26 through 27. <laughs> I'll read it. You can read along with me. 26 through 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious, oh, I'm sorry, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
So this, this passage, again, kind of brings us back to this, this idea of self-deception, of us deceiving ourselves. Right? It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart. And then it says that this kind of religion is worthless. A lot of people, again, like I said before, are in a point of their lives where they just think their religion, their beliefs, their faith is just good, like they're doing it all right. But yet, I think a lot of them are still missing something. There's this deception in their heart uh, where we've tricked ourselves in some instances to think that we're good to go when in reality our religion is just worthless. Um, And this passage specifically is talking about self-deception and the tongue connects it to the tongue, connects it to the words that we speak. And this is where the problem lies in these verses, leaving our tongue unbridled or uncontrolled. Do you guys know what unbridled means? Do you know what a bridle is? Have you guys ever ridden a horse? Yeah, I did once, and uh, I I didn't know what I was doing, and it literally just ran, like it ran, and I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, the friend of mine whose place we're at had to run, it was me and my brother, had to run after us and grab the horses. Like they were running really fast. They were kind of like jogging. They were jogging. Um, But it was scary. It was weird. Um, But the bridle is the part that goes, it's like the headpiece of the horse. So basically that's the piece that allows you to control the horse. Um, Unless you don't know what you're doing, then you might as well not even have it on there like me when I was riding a horse. So when we leave our tongue unbridled, that means that we're leaving our tongue uncontrolled, that it just basically does whatever it wants, more or less. Uh, Luke 6, 45, is that up there? Do we have that? Yeah, sweet. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So, Basically, what this passage is saying is that our tongue, the words that we use, are just an overflowing of our heart. Does that make sense? So our words are really a litmus test for the condition of our hearts. So if your heart is evil, the words you use are going to be not awesome. But if your heart is good and your heart is pure and it's where it should be, your words are going to reflect that. Does that make sense? So it's a good way to test where your heart is, is just by gauging it by the words that you use. Um, And then it talks about in the passage about religion. Our faith is supposed to be pure and it's supposed to be undefiled before God. It's supposed to be righteous, right? That's what the passage says. But how do we do that? This tells us to to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, right? To visit people in need. To love these people who desperately need love. I mean, if you think of these two people groups that they say here, widows and orphans, and if you read the Bible, there's so much that talks about um, helping out the widows and orphans. And if you think about those two groups of people, I can't think of really any other group of people that would really need love more than those two groups of people, the people that are, are lonely, who have been abandoned for whatever reason and have no parents, or for the widow who had a spouse die and is now by themselves. There are so many hurting people that need love and that need the love of Jesus. They may not literally be orphans and widows in this world, in our culture, in our society, but they're orphaned and widowed spiritually. They're alone and they're hurting, and we need to love these people. That's what we're called to do. And it says that we need to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
So the world stains us. This staining in clean imagery is one that's used many times again in the Bible. Um, this imagery that, that we are stained by our sin, that our, our sin and our evilness makes us dirty. It stains us. It's like if you're wearing, imagine, and I wish I had this kind of outfit, but imagine you were just from head to toe in white, okay? I, I really want, I just don't have white pants. I need to get some white pants. Um, I should have bought some, and then I could use an illustration, and then I had a reason to get my pants. Oh, well. But imagine you just had this completely white outfit, and then you just went and fell in this puddle of mud, right? And then you're just so stained. Well, let's make it something that doesn't come out easy, like, I don't know, like grass or blood. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Oh, no. How dare you? Take care of your white pants. You did? It's because you're a hero mom. So this Bible, the Bible uses this imagery of, of being stained, of being clean or, or dirty um, a lot. And that, that evilness in us that we do, that sin that we commit, uh, it, every time we do something, it just blotches. It's another grass stain. It's another blood stain. It's, it's another whatever stain on our perfectly white, beautiful outfit. And the only way that we can be cleaned again is by Jesus and accepting the free gift of his sacrifice. By, by accepting Jesus' sacrifice, basically what you're doing is you're handing over your white clothes to Supermom Angela and letting her work her magic. Angela is Jesus in this illustration. <laughs> you heard it here, folk, first. We are only made clean through Jesus and what he did. Everything this world stands for in the Scripture is evil. The ways of the world, this is one of the many verses that tells us to watch out for the world and the evil in it, to stay clean and pure and in Jesus and away from the sinful lifestyles that this world offers us. This is our calling, to love people, to love people that desperately need love, the, the widows and the orphans of our world, and to live righteously and to keep ourselves unstained. So as we wrapped up, we talked about being in control, about being slow to anger, being slow to speak, and to listen first, and to remain in control at all times. We talked about knowing and doing, and how we're deceiving ourselves if we think we're okay by just knowing, because knowing doesn't do anything for us. It's only how we respond to our knowledge. And then we talked about the power of our tongue, and how uh, the words that we speak are just an overflow of our heart. We talked about how we need to remain unstained. Cool? Let's pray quick. Dear Jesus, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be here and just to go through your word. Um, you know, I think sometimes uh, a message like this where we just kind of read out of the Bible and talk about it, maybe it's not as, as flashy or as catchy as maybe some other kinds of message, God. But when we just go to your word, when we just read your word and, and we talk about it, we discuss it, and we dive deeper into it, we, my goodness, we just learn so much more. We learn a lot more about you and, and how you care about us and how you love us and how you set all this up just to draw us back to you. God, it's amazing. And I just pray, Lord, that we would just be so conscious of these lessons and these things that we talked about today. Lord, that we would be slow to anger so that we could be in control and that we could strive after your righteousness. God, that we would no longer just know and think that that's good enough. 
but we would take the knowledge that we have about you and the things that you want us to do, Lord, and that we would do, that we would act on it, that it would become our lifestyle. God, that we would bridle our tongue, be in control of the words that we say, or that we would gauge our hearts, the, the condition of our heart by the words that we speak and, and do what we need to to get our heart and our, and our words in the right place. Or that we would remain unstained, that we'd be so focused on you that we don't want the things this world has to offer, or the things that stain us, that make us unclean, that take us away from you. God, that we would just strive after you. I pray you would go with us from this place. I pray that you would just bless each and every person here tonight, Lord, as they go through the rest of the week and begin their week next week until we can be back together next week, that you would just give us all opportunities to, um, to practice these things we talked about tonight, that you would give us opportunities to, to love on people around us, that you would give us opportunities to share your message with people around us, give us boldness, give us strength, give us courage to do those things. I pray you'd equip us in the name of Jesus to do those things. Lord, we love you so much. And we trust you and your plan for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.